0: today on ag news daily
1: i think you know the the cattle cycles kind of got a 10-year cycle to start with and you you add the weather component to that we are going to have less cattle on feed in the future that that's just going to be a fact and so that's something that our industry will have to adjust to well
0: listeners welcome december 22nd thursday edition the last ag news daily before christmas tanner and delaney here brought to you by mystic lubricants for a full look at their line of products visit mysticlubes.com, com. m-y-s-t-i-k lubes.com delaney they've been a great sponsor for us here to kick off the week right ahead of christmas
2: they certainly have tanner of course i've got a couple of christmas facts to share with you or rather myths to bust are you ready for this
0: Ah, I think I know where these are going to be. I'll uh, try not to cheat.
2: Okay. Well, we've heard lots of reports over the last few years of Christmas tree shortages, largely due to weather, Tanner. And according to Marsha Gray, who's the executive director for the Real Christmas Tree Board, she said that's simply not true. And if you think about what I shared yesterday, what we talked about, about the average length of a tris- Christmas tree's Lifespan it takes seven to eight years for them to get to full production. So she said, "Really, it doesn't impact the Christmas trees, and we won't see a shortage. You know, in years like this, or we do see really dry seasons. What happens is it impacts the seedlings. So in seven to eight years from now, we see it impact Christmas tree shortages." But she said, "Actually, uh, Tanner, COVID nineteen increased Christmas tree sales pretty substantially." As more people wanted to buy real Christmas trees, I guess that was their uh, way to spend a little bit more money when they had a little extra jingle in their pocket.
0: Probably. I'm trying to boost some morale too. In some, areas. I guess. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. It would of course, dry conditions would affect trying to get a new plant started. And it's not like you can just jump next year and make up for lost time. There's probably going to be a lag, you know, seven to eight years in the future.
2: Absolutely. So the top 3 Christmas tree production states in Tanner, well top 4 I should say. Do you have any guesses on what top 4 states are?
0: Ooh. Uh we got to go out west would be my guess. Um mm-hmm. like Washington, Oregon, Montana, California? Probably not California. Uh no? Idaho?
2: No, you're close. Not really. You got one out of the four. Oregon <laughs> is uh, usually number one. So good guess there. Wisconsin actually is top four of Christmas pre- really? tree production, as well as Michigan and North Carolina. Of course, I think there are probably different types of uh, evergreens that come from those different states. But yeah, as we reported the other day, there's three main types of Christmas trees. So I'm guessing they're grown in different parts of the U.S., but those are the top four states for you. And that's my final Christmas fact before we kick it into the news right. and kick our listeners off to Christmas.
0: Absolutely. No, that was much appreciated. Nice little facts there. We obviously know that uh, Ukrainian's president was in Congress giving talks and rallies and conversations that way. But while he was having those talks, the uh, Ukrainian Agricultural minister reported that their corn production could fall to 22 to 23 million tons this year. That's down from 41.9 million in 2021. Obviously, this is just purely due to the reduction in harvested acres that's caused by the Russian invasion. Could be affected by either Russian soldiers, Russian occupancy, the lack of fuel, and even sometimes the lack of money that's causing this corn to be left out in the field so there are chances Delaney that this could be harvested before spring but we obviously know for those acres harvested between now and spring we're going to lose yield out of the field and we're also going to lose grain quality they've already completed their 22 wheat and barley harvest threshing 19.4 million and 5.6 million tons respectively So they are continuing to work at their crops. Farmers also harvested 18.4 million tons of corn from 70% of the expected area with about 6.27 tons per hectare. And a good host would have done the conversion for our American listeners, (laughs) um, but I didn't get that far yet. So it looks like the farmers are continuing to work at it, Delaney, but we definitely have less corn in the area. And then the production, the agricultural minister put out For next year, is he's suggesting that the non-harvested corn area obviously is going to probably deter farmers from planting back to corn again in those fields, so we could see a larger sunflower crop next year.
2: That's true, but for this year, Tanner, they also noted that the sunflower and wheat crop would be quite significantly lower, 23% lower for wheat and about 31% lower for sunflower seeds.
0: It's certainly facing a lot of challenges over there,
2: yeah, and I think it's important here. I want to go back for a second. Um you kind of glossed over it, but President Zelensky was in Congress on Wednesday night, speaking in front of them, Tanner, and this was a really historic monumental event because obviously he was talking about the Russian Ukraine war, but this is also the very first time. He's left Ukraine since the war started about 300 days ago. So, of course, he talked in front of Congress. He thanked them for their support, uh, but he also made a plea, Tanner, for them to continue to help Fighting the fight alongside of Ukraine. He said, you know, we've gotten this far by ourselves, but we're starting to get really depleted with troops with resources with money. And so he made a big ask out of Congress that they step in and help to some extent. So, don't know what will come from this. He said, your money is not charity. He said, it's an investment in global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way. And he called on lawmakers to strengthen sanctions against Russia and potentially step in to help Ukraine so that they can hold their line and will not surrender. Uh, could be an interesting response here that we see. I'd, I'd be curious to watch the news today, Tanner, to see, you know, what correspondents are sharing about it, if they have any other additional inside look. But he did say he had a 10-point peace formula and told President Biden about it earlier in a meeting at the White House on Wednesday and he said that Biden largely supported the peace initiative so hopefully we'll see more come out about that 10-point plan.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there'll be plenty more news that we can catch up on after the holiday weekend. Coming back over here to US coming out of Pierre, South Dakota regulators out of South Dakota are saying they may need to push back the hearings on the world's largest carbon capture plan and storage project. So that is, of course, talking about the Summit Carbon Pipeline that we've reported on numerous times. The original hearings with the Dakota Public Utilities Commission was scheduled for April and May, 10 days of consecutive hearings, but the board has stated that Summit Carbon needs to come back to the January 5th meeting with a new proposal. The reason they stated is that springtime and a majority of the landowners will be in the fields and they don't want to cause any conflicts of time for landowners and their attorneys to come and be represented. So they are suggesting to push it back to September, which I argue Delaney isn't any better than an April or May time period. So we'll see if Summit Carbon comes back with a new proposed date at the january 5th meeting to have a 10-day series of hearings obviously talking with property owners and those in south dakota where their carbon will be stored they are stating here that the schedule is trying to avoid conflicts with all landowners and attorneys involved Uh, the attorney for summit argued that there's likely to be conflicts with any dates selected And would rather see this taking place in 2023 versus 2024. So I'm sure there's going to be more headlines that come out of this. They are citing that nearly 70 different lawsuits have already come out of South Dakota involving landowners and Summit Carbon Solutions and those will all be hitting the courts in 2023. So it looks like they're trying to get ahead of any additional lawsuits and address those all at public hearings.
2: Well, we also got some word here that the Biden administration, a little different vein, but still kind of on the environmental front, Tanner, released a plan on Tuesday to finalize tougher pollution standards for heavy-duty vehicles like trucks, semis, delivery vans, and buses, starting with model year 2027. This is part of their attempt to cut down um greenhouse gas emissions. And smog and soot from heavy-duty trucks by requiring them to reduce emissions of nitrogen oxides by nearly 50% by 2045 and will be more than four excuse me, more than 80% stronger than the current standard. EPA administrator Michael Reagan said in a statement that the new rule would protect public health, especially the health of 72 million people living near truck freight routes in America, including some of our most vulnerable populations so as i understand it tanner this new legislation would again not impact current vehicles but would force those produced in 2027 and beyond to have different um i guess engine pipeline systems so that they are not pushing out uh nitrogen oxide emissions
0: Interesting yeah, that's quite uh, quite a headline that came out Tuesday with USDA also announced on Tuesday it's going to invest nine point five million dollars into its byproduct pilot program, the BPP. And I'll get to more on that after a break from our sponsor today
3: since nineteen twenty two mystic lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at MysticLoops.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K-lubes.com.
0: So Delaney, this program is authorized under the Infrastructure Invest in Jobs Act that came out in November 2021 to better position the U.S. for competition in the global economy. The VPP is going to provide the USDA an opportunity to invest five million dollars each year 2022 2023 into the program that will support three different projects: the Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University focusing on food waste turned into bioplastics. University of Illinois, Urbana, Champaign, turning pig manure and feedstocks into asphalt. And Soyle Innovations out of Iowa State University here in Ames, Iowa, turning soybean oil into rubber for pavements and shingles. So if anybody went to the Farm Progress show in Boone, Iowa this last year, you got to see the Soyle Innovations product on one of the streets out there. Obviously, they uh, demonstrated that as new technology, but officially the USDA announced on Tuesday that those three projects were the ones selected to receive those funds. So that's a big push there for the advancements in ag technology. It'll be interesting to see what the success looks like for those products. I know the pig one turning into asphalt is quite an interesting one since it's relied very heavily on here in the state of Iowa for its fertilizer nutrients. Mm -hmm. And are the discussions around fertilizer shortages, that's going to continue to be a hot commodity. It's going to even be a hotter commodity if there's now demand for it in the use for another product.
2: Yeah, that's definitely going to push, I would assume, the price of manure higher. And it really might make those researchers have a hard time Getting people to pay a little bit more to do that when they can use current resources and probably not have to pay a premium. So, interesting headline there, Tanner. I have just one more quick hit, and that is an update here on some trade relations. As I reported earlier this week, or maybe it was last week now at this point, Mexico has officially postponed their planned genetically modified corn ban until 2025. And we got word from US Secretary Vilsack that that was deemed satisfactory. They will be meeting in January to finalize things out, and their agricultural minister said that he expects things to get nailed down, and both sides are currently happy with the agreement. This also comes, Tanner, as a couple of U.S. senators have asked the Biden administration to start trade agreements with countries Ecuador and Uruguay using the USMCA agreement as a template to expand export opportunities with these two, what they said, trusted partners in Latin American countries as China's influence continues to grow down there. So that has been the latest ask for Catherine Tai to focus on those two countries specifically. She has not responded as of yet, Tanner. So we will see if any new updates come from that.
0: Yeah, it is something else. We're going to have plenty of news to catch up on when we come back next week. But the last piece I've got for today is our ethanol production update. The output fell last week down to an average of 1.029 barrels per day. That is down from 1.061, which I don't think was uh, quite a surprise. We knew our stocks were continuing to grow. However, last week, ethanol inventories also declined from 20 down to 24 point, I'm sorry, down from 24.40 million barrels to 24.067. However, when you look at the inventories right now and compare them year over year, Delaney, they're still 16.2% higher. And if you compare them to the five-year average, they're nearly 9% higher. So good stocks of ethanol there. We hope that uh, we continue to see demand as we want to burn through those supplies and continue to produce those as well. Of course, we're looking here in the area as some sub-zero temperatures and scientists around the ethanol products are stating that they are still confident that their fuels will stand up to those negative temperatures and not cause our drivers any issues so that's what i've got for today let's pause one more time for a message from our sponsor before we do markets
3: since 1922 mystic lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment today mystic continues to develop products in real world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K-lubes.com.
0: What do they look like today, Delaney?
2: Well, we certainly had a positive day yesterday, Tanner, as markets traded higher on news of less corn being produced in Ukraine. Wheat futures certainly led the way higher yesterday with some gains of 12 to 17 cents across the board. Unfortunately, grains could not sustain those advances in the overnight. March corn this morning will open at 662, down a quarter of a cent in the overnight. December new crop corn will open a penny lower at 601 and a quarter. January soybeans down five and a half cents in the overnight will open up at 1475 November soybeans at the ringing of the bell will open at 1388 hard red March winter wheat will open this morning at 864 up three quarters of a cent the only grain really market to open higher and as we look at livestock yesterday. We saw positivity across all complexes. February Live Cattle added two dollars and twelve cents will open this morning at a buck fifty-seven seventy. January feeders will open twenty cents higher at $1.8382. eighty-three eighty-two. And February lean haunts will open this morning at eighty-eight forty. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation this morning with Chelsea Good.
4: listeners. We're here with Chelsea Good, Vice President of Government and Industry Affairs at the Livestock Marketing Association. Going to talk a little bit about some of the crazy things that happen with livestock marketing this summer. Thank you for joining us, Chelsea. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So, Chelsea, we know that the drought had a huge impact on cattle markets, especially this summer. And for me, in my home state of Texas, there were photos and videos of sale barns overrun all summer long. What effect did that have on the livestock marketing as a whole?
1: You know, um, it's good and it's bad for our markets. You know, they, they... they sell either uh, per head or, you know, a percentage tariff. So they're they're making money when they're selling a lot of cattle. Um, but it's kind of concerning from a big picture standpoint of if people are really reducing their cow numbers, you know, are they going to restock? That That's what our markets want to see is they want to see these producers be generational and, you know, be in business for a long time. So it's kind of scary when you're selling way more cows than usual because that means you're going to have less calves to sell in the future.
4: Absolutely. And we know slaughter numbers are going up. Inventory is going down. So what effect is this set to have on the markets in the coming months?
1: I think, you know, the, the cattle cycle's kind of got a 10 year cycle to start with and you, you add the weather components to that we are going to have less cattle on feed in the future um that that's just going to be a fact and so um that that's something that our industry will have to adjust to you know we're coming out of a time frame especially with covid where we ran into some slaughter capacity issues and and we just had way more cattle than we had spots to put them and then that was a problem um so i think that that problem hopefully is going to dissipate um and instead we're going to have you know uh, those packers really, hopefully, uh, fighting to get the cattle.
4: And as the Livestock Marketing Association, what are some of the things you do to help these sale barns and things like that?
1: So uh, we represent your local livestock auction sale barns across the United States in a variety of ways. Um, I'm our vice president of government affairs. I'm in D.C. and back, along with others on my team, just fighting for the markets from a policy perspective. Congress, USDA, our main regulatory law, the Packers and Stockyards Act, it's 101 years old. It is antiquated. We're always working on some updates there. We also work with our auctions on kind of providing them news and information. We've got a comprehensive animal handling program helping them train their employees make sure that they're doing good things in terms of the way they handle their livestock we really do a lot for our member businesses
4: and i know i had seen that y'all have been working a lot for the a plus act how does that work and with all of the issues with competition in the cattle industry right now how would that not add to it
1: yeah, that's a very good question. So we are a huge supporter or proponent of the A-plus Act. Um, currently, the Packers and Stockyards Act is really pretty outdated, and there's a prohibition that makes it so livestock auction managers or owners cannot own or invest in a packing space. They can own cattle, but they can't invest in packers. Well, we've got four major packers that have 85% of the fed cattle marketplace. We want more packers, right? We want more shackle space, but we want more new packers to compete with those four. And so it just makes sense that if a local... Live livestock auction owner wants to, you know, start a a local, you know, maybe um, packing facility or if they want to invest in a regional packing facility, we should encourage that because that's another person in those seats competing for animals and and the A-plus Act would allow that to
4: occur. Absolutely. I know that one of the concerns I personally would have is... uh I feel like the biggest players that are hardest to catch up with in this space are the ones that are most vertically integrated. You have Cactus that goes all the way from cow-calf to having stock in their slaughters. How are you going to avoid those issues with this? Great question, and we've thought about that a lot. And so there's actually a threshold in that
1: A-plus Act. It would only allow a market to own or invest in a a packing facility that processes less than 2,000 head a day. What that does is it kind of cuts off the top 10. The top 10 packers would not be able to own or invest in a market, but a market could own or invest in a packer that's smaller than that amount. So it really does focus on the local, the regional level, which is where we want to see that growth
4: absolutely and we've seen a lot of uh, announcements about new packers going up throughout the summer with this eight plus act if it were to pass would that increase a lot of those numbers going up
1: it really would and some of these announcements are still kind of trying to get funds put together and they're looking for investors so there are markets that are wanting to invest in some of those facilities that have already been announced and then there's markets that are looking at shuttered facilities or facilities that um, could be expanded and saying you know hey if i had a chance to buy this i'd make it bigger
4: And Chelsea, if any of our producers are interested in learning about this legislation and supporting it, how can they get involved? Um, I would recommend following LMA on social media
1: and also checking out our website, which is lmaweb.com. Well, we appreciate having you on. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Enjoyed visiting.
2: Well, Tanner, that was another great conversation. And I think one of the last ones we've had here for NAFB convention. I think that marks the last one.
0: Well, and the last one too before Christmas. Listeners, we appreciate you listening to us all the time. We wish you safe travels if you're going to be on the road and we wish you extremely happy times with you and your family.
2: Absolutely, Tanner. But with that, should we wish our listeners a Merry Christmas?
0: Let's wish them a Merry Christmas.